Welcome to Run This World. My name is Nicole DeBoom. I'm a former pro athlete turned entrepreneur. Each week, I'll bring you insights and inspiration from some of the world's greatest visionaries who will help you run your world in ways that you didn't even realize were possible. All in the framework of the amount of time it takes for the average person to run a 5K. That's 36 minutes and 38 seconds, give or take a mile. We often go long, so get ready. Thank you for spending some time with me today. Now let's get this workout started. Hey everyone, I hope you're having an excellent day. I am for a couple reasons. Uh, Number one, my mom is in town. So every year we plan a girls weekend somewhere in the country with my mom Gail and my sister Michelle. And this summer it's in Denver. And let me just tell you, it's a common joke that Denver is like another state to me because I'm very happy in my little boulder bubble. That's what we call it. So we are heading out to the big city for some much needed mom and sister time, which I highly recommend because getting to know your moms and sisters when you're an adult is so different and so important. And it's interesting to me because I think that parts of the dynamic never change. It just sort of depends on what point your relationship with your mom, for instance, was suspended. So if it was suspended in like junior high, then you would constantly be rolling your eyes at your mom and being like, mom, you're so stupid, you know. And if it was in high school, you'd be trying to sneak beer while she's not looking. But if it was in college or later, you might have more of a friendship with your mom. And that's where I'm happy to say my relationship with my mom has landed, and I love it. And I'm so excited. (laughs) And the other reason I'm having a great day is that I am sitting here discovering a whole new world of hot beverages, thanks to today's guest, Maria Uspensky. She's the founder of The Tea Spot. So Maria... She is many, many things. She's a mom of two amazing daughters. She's an entrepreneur having started and sold a business and started another one that she's still running. She's an MIT educated engineer. She's a former ballerina. She's fluent in many languages. She's a cancer survivor. And today, a tea lover, tea advocate, and expert in her field. She's one of those people who leads through her actions and how she treats other people. Today's episode is inspirational, thought-provoking, educational. I think it will leave you wanting to sip and sample tea of every kind. (laughs) So get ready for a little bit of life change if you're not a tea drinker. And with that, let's bring Maria on. So are you ready? Yes. Okay, cool. Thank you, Maria, for joining me today. This is going to be a blast. Can you tell? Are you already having a blast? I am. 
As Other soon as I saw you waving me to the right house, I was having a blast. Are you kidding? Well, it's that thing, you know, our front door, the numbers are on the door. So when the door is open, you can't tell what house it is. So it's not your fault. You're not crazy. I promise. You're busy, but you're not crazy. I'm supposed to be mathy, and yet I couldn't figure out where uh, this address lined up on the street. That's okay. Um, what I want to do today is we're going to get down and dirty on your story in okay. general. But I want to make sure we leave enough time for people to really understand what this whole tea world and tea thing is all about because it's no secret that I've been a coffee girl most of my life. Mm -hmm. And now I feel like I can go both ways. Your kitchen looks like a tea experimentation lab. It does. It's great. It does. Um, so I actually have to start with how we met. So I, uh, I interviewed these two great women, Joe and Jules, mm -hmm. earlier this year from The Conscious Cleanse. They created this like food and health movement, right? It's about getting down to the basics of what really makes your body tick. And they had a dinner for all the locals at this really awesome restaurant called Zeal. Which yes. I love. Do you love yeah. Zeal? I do love Zeal. Oh, yeah. so and good. I especially love those dinners when it's all Conscious Cleanse clients who are there. And the table where we met at was just chock full of extraordinary women. Right? I know. And that's what this is about. Yes. Surrounding ourselves yeah. by people who inspire us. Exactly. So I'm sitting there and we strike up a conversation. And I just thought you were a conscious cleanser. Well, A, you are a conscious <laughs> I cleanser. I was. Right? I still am, yes. But I didn't realize that you actually produced the signature teas for their collection. Right. So here I am talking to this woman who's created one of the most profound tea companies Thank in you. our country. Thank you. Thank and I knew immediately that um, I had to learn more about you. Thank it you. came out in little dribbles and drabs. At it the sure dinner. did. And some interesting <laughs> stories that we shared. Yes. So and likewise, I fell in love with skirt sports. I loved what you were wearing that night. And a few weeks later, I stumbled upon your store and I said, oh, wow, this is it. It's right near where I live in Boulder, went in. And as you can see, I'm almost living in it now because it's both attractive and insanely practical. I thought so. you were just tracking me and you knew when I was going to be around. So you'd throw something skirt sports on. Uh -uh, uh -uh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, they're pretty much on me. It's a good thing I bought a bunch. Well, when I, I think we should start with a little bit of your background. And I kind of, I wonder, I'm going to lay something out there right now that okay. we're going to get into, which okay. is that at some point in your life, you had a cancer diagnosis. Yes. All well, that was way into my life. Yeah. It was way into your life. So in my mind, I just wondered, was there a Maria pre-cancer? And what was that Maria like? And then the Maria post-cancer. And so before we get into the diagnosis and everything that happened, because I think this is really important for many reasons for people to understand. So you could be helping some people out there. No, that's a good point. But, you know, you often see people and you're like, wow, that person was a real asshole. Cancer really, like, humbled them. And then you wonder, did it, did it stick? And so I really want to dig into like who were you before? I'm not saying you were an asshole. No, I hope I, not. That model is so. I actually think that there are three phases that uh, I would look at when talking with someone who's been through a disease where they got a a poor diagnosis initially, and that is pre-diagnosis, during the disease, and then post-disease, because 
while you're dealing with the disease, that's not the same person who has the luck to come out on the other end. Um, I can definitely say that pre-diagnosis, as hard as it may be to believe, I was even more tightly wound than I am now. One thing that is in my life, I don't know, 20, 50 times a day now that I don't know whether it was there nearly as much prior is gratitude. I can't go an hour without saying thank you to whatever, my dog, my colleagues, my family. I am just, look at these trees, this yard, the sun, the shade that we've got today. Like, are you kidding me? How lucky are we? So that sort of seeing the world in technicolor. Um, I grew up in New York and in Grand Central Station, there was that huge Kodak backlit poster that you're probably familiar with. And every time I'd walk into that station and I'd see that poster that they were advertising the film with, I would think, oh my goodness, to see the world that way all the time. And I do believe that now I see the world that way all the time. Why does it take facing death? Who the death? hell knows? I don't know. I just uh, went to a very interesting <laughs> talk by Lorraine Moeller on Saturday at Women's Quest. And she talks about the circle of life. So this treadmill that we're on, this purgatory kind of scenario that we're all just dealing with our self-defeating kind of attitudes in. And in order to break through that, it takes an exceptional amount of spirit and power or kick in the ass, you know, mm. AKA disease. And, you know, my God help me as awful as it sounds, um, analogy to her Olympic moment was getting sick. You know, she got to enjoy that breakthrough moment at either the Barcelona Olympics or the subsequent one when she kind of reconciled with, you know, just being a top, top, top athlete and not as top as she had wanted to be in her own mind. Same thing with me. I was trying to be a person who I wasn't, always striving for more, always dissatisfied with what was going on. And then all of a sudden you flip that over and it's like, you know what? It's okay. So you mentioned dissatisfied. Like was life not enough? before what were you doing and and it's almost embarrassing to say with two beautiful daughters who I had at the time and truly a wonderful life it was just my perspective on it um I think people who are I don't know always striving always trying to achieve the next goal very goal-oriented perhaps don't often enough take the time to celebrate those goals when they get to them. It's like you get to that goal, you finish writing the book, and then it's like, okay, now what? You don't even yeah. take a breather. And you know, so many of the people listening, they can relate, not that they are, they, many of them are striving for races. Yeah. So they're yeah. Do, trying to go for their best 5K PR. Well, when you hit it, what next? The immediate next day, I just signed up for a 10K. Exactly. So it, the cycle, it doesn't give itself the opportunity to rest and break and keep a perspective, right? Precisely. And it's that, why are you striving to do that 5K? It's not so that, or I would hope that it's not so that you can immediately turn around and sign up for the 10K, but it is for most of us. 
it's always there's always the next step and I don't know where it is in our upbringing or in the human condition that we're taught that we're not enough but well could it also be that like hitting that 5k made you happy and that you just say well that made me really happy so I want to seek the next thing maybe a little bigger thing because that will make me happier or extend the happiness (laughs) i'm in my life when i would reach those 5k goals and i'm not a runner but let's say the analogous kind of goals i can't even say that i was necessarily happy i was you know i was okay with it that was the goal i met it great now what yep well let's go back even further um you you grew up in new york east coast yes Mm -hmm. so i'm by training by background a failed musician and ballerina so <laughs> i was wait brought how, up. Yeah. you say failed i mean it was this your ambition uh, this was this was my deal so i was in a very serious ballet school school of american ballet which is the feeder to the new york city ballet and i was at juilliard pre-college in piano and i got hurt ultimately when i was i went i finished high school early, I did the minimum, and I was not prepared to go to any kind of college in the States and got hurt. I hurt my ankle twice, and the second time I literally just came back and it was like my locker was locked, I was out, I was gone. And this was at the ripe old age of 16, 17. And I literally, I think I had something akin to a nervous breakdown. I broke every LP that I owned. I told my parents I was never going to touch the piano again. And my parents, God help them, put me on a plane to France, gave me three addresses, and said, here are people you can live with. Go to France, learn French. (laughs) I don't get it. Like, why? So were they nervous? Were they they not able to help you? I think, well, maybe. Mm -hmm. But I also feel that they were a lot wiser than it seemed to me at the time. I, of course, cried the whole flight over. And only after my dad passed away did my mom tell me, and it's in the old TWA terminal at Kennedy, that she literally had to dig her fingernails into him and hold him back. He was saying, Natasha, I'm going to go buy a ticket. I'm going with her and get her set up. And she just said, no, she's got to go on her own. So I went to France, and out of those three addresses, uh, one was an IBM family. My dad was a mathematician and had worked at IBM and knew some French people with kids my age, but I spoke no French, so I was afraid to go live with them. I ended up living with an older Russian lady who ended up being one of the most important people in my life. Um, I'm Russian by background. It was my first language, so that language I could speak, and it... I ended up enrolling ultimately in French high school. So I did go to a French foreign language school initially, but it was for wives of diplomats. And here I am, this teen. And I was really lonely and bored. You know, I'm living with this, you know, and God bless her, wonderful woman, but all of her friends are older. I go to school, everyone's older. And I was just homesick as all get go. And I ultimately asked her, I said, where can I go meet girls my own age? And she said, well, the best all-girls school in Paris is this one right here. And so I went there. They wouldn't let me through the door. 
I tried to get in. It's always kind of under lock and key. <laughs> the <laughs> school back is now then. co-ed back wow. then. Yeah, in the yeah. mid-70s. So when the girls all came out for recess, which meant a smoking break, oh gosh. I went back in with all of them. And they, there was a beautiful courtyard in the middle of this school. And I didn't know it at the time, but their principal was this completely off-the-edge, progressive woman. And I just asked them, and in my broken little French that I had at the time, where is the director's office? And they sent me to her office. And I told the woman, I said, I'm here for two years. My parents sent me. And I'm, I was probably in tears at this point. And I said, I want to be with girls my own age. I'm studying at this foreign language school. She said, okay, as an experiment, we'll try it out. And they took me in, and a year and a half later, I had my French baccalaureate in math and physics and made, of course, some of the closest friends that I've had through life and now have this country that is my second home, which is a very, very important part of my life. And my younger daughter is fluent in French. I was always taking them there in summers. So it's crazy how these detours in life can send you off in a new and wonderful direction and I told that whole story in part because my disease sent me off I never would have been in the tea industry for Christ's sakes I was a techie and had gone to MIT and had worked at IBM had started my own tech firm had sold it and then all the shit hit the fan my dad died of heart disease two years later my mom and I um, not exactly at the same time but came down with ovarian cancer and coming out of that, I learned a lot about the health benefits of tea. I, of course, was trying to figure out, well, what in the world, if I am lucky to make it in, through this disease, what do I do to make sure this monster doesn't come back? You know, this is not a good time for me to be leaving my girls. And one of the things that kept coming up again and again in the research was tea. And in particular, I enjoyed the fact that there were some vast population studies on places that drink a lot more tea than we do and who are, at the time I thought that I must have had an environmentally induced cancer, which I still sense might have been the case, but my lifestyle was for all intents and purposes fairly healthy. I mean, kind of typical boulder mom um, who very easily wandered into a security clearance if you know what that means so my my lifestyle habits were very straight and that was dumb (laughs) so wait what it sounded like i wasn't gay you're gonna need to edit you're gonna love that wait i i'm okay wait i just meant that i didn't do drugs or smoke or anything (laughs) (laughs) but that's the best let let me let me stop us for a second because What you showed at 16 or 17 years old was um, a level of maturity and foresight that I don't know many kids that age would have. To go in and figure it out... I think when we're thrown in a situation, you deal with it. Well, I was a crybaby that whole flight over. I mean, I was like in a fetal position on the plane as this French woman was trying to make me feel better by talking. And the more she talked, the faster it sounded and the worse it all seemed. No, no, no. (laughs) I I was stuck there. And you, you make do. But some people don't. 
you know, some people continue in a fetal position and then they have to go get drugs to help them yeah. feel better, you know, yeah. and you didn't. You no. figured out how to get yourself into the school that was locked and go talk the lot of fate. He- a lot know, of fate. headmaster mistress into yes. letting you in. And those things, that to me right there says like you're going to be a winner in your life because you're going to make things happen, right? And you learned it really young whether you knew it or not. To me, that's a pivotal moment right there. That was a pivotal moment. I do often think that we go in the direction, whether it's a, a quote-unquote brave move or a bold one or a less than uh, perhaps admirable direction, largely by fate. I know that sounds rather defeatist. I don't mean it to be that way and of course I always tell my daughters you know you go with your gut and you strive for the moon and the stars and don't be afraid ever I think that is one thing that I do have to say I do have and sometimes I think it's just that I'm stupid but I'm not (laughs) really I don't sense fear that easily ah well, this is all really important. Yeah. So you mentioned you come back from Europe and you went to MIT I and did. you got into the tech world. Also an accident. So when I ah. took my SATs, I went to the American High School in Paris to take my SATs. And I ended up getting, um, in those days, I don't know how it is now, the score was out of 800. And I had an 800 on math and a 600 on verbal. And so you, when you sign up and pay for the test at that school, you get a meeting with a guidance counselor. And the guy just said, well, you know, you, are, you can't go to any kind of Ivy League school because your verbal's just inadequate. But you can look at places like MIT and Caltech. And I thought, well, California, I've never been there. I don't want to go there. <laughs> and so I only applied to MIT and ended up going there. Wow. Isn't that amazing? It is amazing. And I never would have chosen that book or that school out of a book or a catalog or something. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, you you end up in a career, right, Mm -hmm. in the tech world. And then you met your husband along the way. Mm -hmm. Exactly, yes. You move your family out to Boulder. Yes. Well, did you have babies before you moved out here? Had one in New York and then one here. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And and was this around the time that you had started your own company then? So I started my own company right around the time that the older one went to kindergarten got it and that was uh, right after their dad and I split and I just decided that I needed to do my own thing and not work in the same place where he was and started a tech consulting firm in an area that I knew so I understood the applications and initially it was just me but then eight years later uh, I was working with probably a dozen people and I sold the company and then again life just dealt you all these so tell me what at what point in this process did you have your diagnosis so it was after I sold my company and I was actually um, what is it called in Boulder when you live within the city limits of Boulder you can audit classes at the university so I went through their MBA program it's like a hundred bucks a semester you can audit any classes you want Mm -hmm. so I was following this MBA curriculum and doing some consulting working with startups uh, the typical Boulder kind of tech person sells their firm you want to help other young people but wait so you went from driving 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 every day 
Yes. Your kids are growing up, they're in high school or getting out of high school, you sell your company, and then you're like, now what? And literally driving. I worked a lot in Colorado Springs. Oh, wow. With the military, which Just is 90 this, minutes away of well, everyone. <laughs> and 90 when it, in those days, I wouldn't be able to make that commute today, thanks to the traffic as it true, is now. True. So that was also interesting. But yeah, so it was in the course of all this, I was at a conference. I had no idea I was sick. I mean, I'm a, you know, I was a single mom. I was working hard. Everyone always says, well, be in tune with your body. Okay, that's great. But we have a sample size of one, right? I don't know what anyone else's body is supposed to feel like, what's normal. And these symptoms for ovarian cancer, if there's anything that I can get out there today, it's for people to be aware of that. They are subtle. They are super, super subtle until it's perhaps so advanced that it's a complicated thing to take care of. And so increased fatigue. I mean, how many of us have not felt increased fatigue? I do. But, you know, you feel it and hopefully 99.9% of the time, it's just a result of something else. It's not because there's something growing in you. Um, So bloating, Mm. uncomfortable gassiness. So literally when I realized I was sick, I was on a business trip. So when you're traveling, you eat things that are different than what you'd eat at home. Mm -hmm. Things can happen with your digestion that you think, oh, well, you know, is that restaurant? (laughs) This wasn't great. And then, lo and behold, I mean, I literally almost passed out. And then I got tested. So I didn't have uh, exactly the same kind of symptoms. A lot of people are faced with bleeding. But I definitely did have bloating and discomfort and a little bit of back pain. But it's so easy Mm. to rationalize. But a lot of that sounds like menopause. Yeah, I was a little early for that at that point. Thank you, Nicole. (laughs) Got it. Yes, you're right. You're right. But you know, when I no, my but kids you're right. in late high school, I yeah. will have already gone through menopause. Yeah. yeah. And so, yeah, those aren't those are not except for the no, bleeding. They're not glaring, and I didn't have yeah. any. Yeah. I did not have any. So that's the part that's unfortunate that I didn't have that type of a flag. So how would you go get checked if you had these symptoms? Would you just go in and ask them to do some kind of random test? I guess you tell your doctor and hopefully he or she understands that the collection of symptoms Mm. that you're experiencing as vague and as subtle as they may be, I suppose all of those in ensemble would be interpreted as, uh aha, we should perhaps test her. And it's actually very easy to test people. There's a very direct marker for ovarian cancer called CA-125. And And is that um, a blood test? It is. Yeah. So you got, how old were you? I know, and it's so funny, people often ask me, when did you get diagnosed? I can tell you when I got my no evidence of disease prognosis, which was July 9th, 2004. Okay. And so at that point, I would have been 45. Wow. Yeah. So 40-ish. And that was, yeah. yeah. Whew. Okay. So how far along were you? Stage three, 3C. And there's four, four stages. stages. Yeah. Okay. So the prognosis wasn't good. And at that point as well, I did take matters into my own hands. You, you hear, you can go to five doctors and get five different opinions on how you should be dealing with this. Okay. And literally when I first heard about it, 
I didn't even know what they were talking about. No one sits down and says, you know, Blondie, you've got cancer. But what, it's a bad situation. How, They're talking yeah. in circles and you all of a sudden you're sitting there and literally the room started turning around me when I thought, oh my, this is really bad shit because they're trying to talk over my head. Wait, so you're sitting in a room. You had gotten like a blood test. They yeah, call I you back in. I don't remember exactly whether this was the first or second test. There were a few tests. Mm -hmm. And then they literally just sit you down. It's probably the third test. And they sit you down and they've got this collection of papers. And I'm not nowhere near being a medical professional. And no one, uh, until you say, what in the world are you talking about? Do they say, well, this can be, um, people call it ovarian cancer, but this is actually what's happening. And you're like. As soon as you hear that, everything else just blacks out. They better just stop talking. Because exactly. they probably tell you a whole bunch of other stuff you need to know. <laughs> and you can't right. process jack shit right. after that. So, of course, you grab oh the test God. results and you go try to call someone else. Of course, being from the East Coast, I did have a bit of an attitude that said, oh, my goodness, I'm sick. I need to go home. And that turned out to be helpful for me. And then... Yeah, I just... Uh, so you got second opinions. I did get second opinions, and I don't like to be at all prognostic with how I dealt with it, so I'd rather not get too deep into that, but I did do a different kind of course of um, action on my disease. Do you think it would help people, though, to no. know that it exists? No, no, because I think we're all really different. Okay. And... I have really been instructed to be really mum on wow. that because we are all very different and we you have to listen to whomever you most trust is really the best piece of advice I can give, which is okay. ultimately what I did. I obviously mm -hmm. didn't direct my own treatment, but I did find the person whom I trusted to tell me what to do. Okay. And I think that's really, really key. Okay, so when you got your prognosis, did they say, here's the deal, you have this percentage chance to make it? One, one of the medical professionals that I worked with did tell me that I don't think that's a good idea. Wow. I think that's, uh, I, they don't feel tell you as often anymore. Um, giving you a very low percentage prognosis it can be demoralizing of course it can also be motivating mm -hmm. in some ways but i don't like to think that i'm in the bottom 10th percentile no you, know, you just not gotta, where i like to hang out and you just gotta start rolling through your path and make your own decisions i remember calling my brother at that time and telling him and he just said you'll be okay moose you've always been in the 99th percentile oh! <laughs> And that's the best. Well, he's right, you know, wow. so why not? <laughs> if wow. then, why not now? So you got through it. Yes. Did it take years? Yes. Yes. Took a while. Okay. And with some relapse, et cetera, and then, you know, just again, realigning what you're going to do about it. Yeah. Could you have done anything, looking back, to avoid getting cancer? I sometimes wonder if... Where I lived in Boulder, which was right near the Department of Commerce on Baseline, had something to do with it, with all those NTIA antennae. I was in a support group for a while, and there were five women in it, and we all lived within two blocks of Baseline Road. 
Wow. So not to knock my lovely old neighborhood, but uh, where was that? Because <laughs> Is it close to here? Oh, Wait, Department baseline? of Commerce. Yeah, Baseline oh, is wow. the next main road north of Table Mesa. Yeah, but that's where you lived? Yeah. Oh, wow. Just south of Baseline. Like Should between I be baseline? rethinking our... our... <laughs> Were you a little bit worried when you came up to the house? Oh, Oh, no, no, no. no. Table mace is fine. Okay, okay, cool. (laughs) But seriously, I mean, there there is, um, I'm clearly, you can link cancer to geographic locations. Absolutely. And what's going on in the environment there. So that is... uh, You hear about coal mining towns who mm, everyone at the end of a cul-de-sac will have the same type of cancer. Yep. So you have mentioned in some other talks I've heard you do a term that I absolutely love. And you use it in a, in a, a phrase, something like, um, there was a point when I decided that self-care and my own health was non-negotiable. Yeah. And I love the, the term non-negotiable. So what did, it, what did it take for you to turn that switch? It actually took an ex-colleague of mine who, God bless her, and I haven't been in contact with her in a long time, but she brought me a one or two academic papers that showed that girls in middle school who lose their moms are seriously screwed up for the rest of their lives. <laughs> and this was her way of getting me to get up off my butt and literally give it wow. my all. Wow. And... It's that fear of, you know, this is this is the only thing really you care about at that time. Of course, I've got other family and people you love in your life, but leaving your children is, of course, every mom's biggest fear. And at that point, I knew that, okay, if I'm going to be there for them, I need to be there for me, <laughs> and I need right. to focus only on me and there are times when it's very difficult to um even make it through dinner the only thing i could essentially guarantee in terms of my energy level every day was that i would be there when they got home from school and that we would have our tea time so this was even before we had tea for health reasons tea time was our time to sit down and debrief after school and hear about we always talked about three highlights and three lowlights for the day. And we had initiated that, of course, long before I got sick, partly because I wanted them to be able to sort of go through their day and summarize, but also because as a mom, you want to know what's going on on that playground. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> if there's any you know, bullying or funny stuff going on. So, so yeah, that was So key. tell me, if you had to pick, three or up to five non-negotiable things for you to make sure that self-care is a priority, what what are those three to five things? So I think checking in with your health every day. So as much as I said, getting in tune with your body is a tough one, whether it's meditation or one thing that was very useful to me, uh, in the course of working through this disease was visualization. And literally, I would visualize these meds working with me. I, it wasn't a good scenario for me to think about fighting disease. I don't like to fight, but I am totally fine with being stronger than someone else and encouraging them to leave. 
And so that's how I viewed these ugly chemicals, which literally they're not pleasant. I mean, of course, all of these meds are getting dialed in now and people have targeted therapies. And I feel that things have certainly progressed hugely uh, Mm -hmm. since the time that I was going through this illness. But just visualizing these meds, working with your body, and now I do the same with tea every day, and you take a sip and you literally think about that medicine or that tea going through your whole body and you think about, so how does, how does my throat feel today? How does it feel coming into my esophagus? How does my belly feel? You know, is it, is it inflamed? Is it okay? How are my arms? How is, how's my heart doing? So just whether it's meditation mm. or just a quiet tea time in the garden, literally checking in with your body every day, I feel is very important. And then having the guts to do something about it when you feel that something's out of alignment. I'm very bad at that. I am so afraid of the doctor. I, I'm very bad at going to anything but a doctor who's working on my mechanics. So I'll work on my my hips, my feet, you name it, all day long. But I am scared to death of, and that's something I need to work on, internal kind of things. But I do, so checking in with your body, diet, number one. So we both met through the conscious cleanse. And it's crazy that I had to be in my late 50s before I did the conscious cleanse to sort of learn which foods were my friends and which perhaps we're not. Mm-hmm. And I think we both learned that some foods that were our best friends turned out not to be working in our best interest in our bodies. Like, are you kidding me? How can this be? So how did you determine which ones were not? In bringing them back in and mm-hmm. seeing I was literally on cloud nine. When I did that cleanse, I was just, I was really feeling great. And one of the most disappointing things for me clearly I've fallen off that wagon I had a cup of puer tea so what did you miss the most it was almost ceremonial the way I Mm -hmm. had a cup of puer tea at work that Friday afternoon Mm -hmm. and it was three colleagues we all did it together and we all picked different things one of us picked a glass of red wine I picked my black tea and oh my god I was like a I was like a witch on a broom within about seven minutes I literally I just I just spun Wow. And it did, you know, ugly things with my digestion as well. I mean, the, the toilet was off limits to anyone but me oh, after wait. that cup of puer. I know. I well, don't you're know. drinking it now. So, I how did you? So, it, it, you're, you reacclimated to it. I don't drink it often. Okay. It's like a treat. It is like a treat. You brought it for me because I, I did. Wanted to because try it. I knew that you were a little oh. iffy with it. And I do love it. Mm, I do drink buds. it as a treat. I don't drink it more than weekly mm, anymore. Okay. And also, I was just at the World Tea Expo where I picked up a gazillion great tea samples Ooh. from all over the world. And so I have been, yeah, I've been drinking my fair share of tea the last week. Yeah, amazing. So the diet. So checking in with your health. Yeah, your diet. Your diet, and then of course the priorities. I think that's what's so mm. important, and that's where you know jumping from the 5k to the 10k to the half marathon you name it is that really your priority so i think being real with yourself in terms of if i did only have today two weeks three months to live 
what would be my priority? Probably wouldn't be the half marathon. It would probably be something else. Yeah, and that is a really good question to ask yourself. Yeah. So how do you start a tea company? By accident, too. You know, it's just life is crazy that way. I don't think it was terribly intentional. And at that time, I would have done anything, anything, anything to protect my daughters. My mom um, was passing away. And so from, from the cancer yes. that was diagnosed roughly the same time you were. Yes. Oh, yeah, she gosh. went a little later and, of course, passed earlier. Um, I just, I would have gone back to university and become a medical researcher if I were younger, but I couldn't do that. And being a mechanical engineer by background and having learned about tea, I thought, well, you know what? I can help people have the tools that make this healthier tea product accessible and easy. So for one, sourcing those teas, those whole leaf healthy teas. And as you know, we just try to make our teas as delicious as humanly possible and literally just seduce people mm. into drinking them multiple times a day. We never write on our teas, you know, drink this, it will save your life. And It's implied. <laughs> <laughs> and Cancer Hates Tea just came out at December of last year, so it was already right. like 13 years into the history Which, of the company. By the way, this is Maria's book, and it's a fantastic read. And and it will educate you on tea, but in a way that's like entertaining and gripping and makes you actually, and you can understand it, you know, and that, that I really appreciated. So thank I you. I also try to make it a good primer on cancer initially because you can't understand how tea could work against cancer until you understand how cancer works in your body. And in trying to not mm -hmm. diminish the huge body of research that has been done on these diseases, I try to make it accessible. I try to give the same information that I would have enjoyed when I was in my learning that's phase it. and diagnosed. Mm -hmm. So that's where I come from. That's the place I come from in that book. But um, yeah, so we just try to make healthy teas that are delicious and tools that make them ridiculously easy so that people are encouraged and... It, you know, enjoy drinking it on a daily basis. I just feel so lucky I sat across from you I at that table. Too. because I'll never forget the beautiful <laughs> vision of you in that <laughs> restaurant. Yes. Well, we've got so many, so much to do here in life, right? Absolutely. And, and uh, we're both living our passions. Our businesses are an extension of that, right? Absolutely. Amen so, to that, right? How yeah. lucky are we? Yeah. I mean, truly, in the end, people say, how do you find happiness? Oh, figure out your passion and then go make it your job and just like live life, right? Yes. It seems simple. It's not always that simple. It takes us a while to get there. It does. And you have yeah. to cross a lot of tough thresholds to get there it's you might have a passion but your job is what's paying your rent and putting food on the table how do you make that jump i think that's something that's so tough for many people i would have started my first business probably a lot earlier if i didn't have that fear and it's it's taking that leap of faith yeah. in yourself ultimately it's true. That gets you there. Well, I think we should take a leap of faith and pour some of this awesome tea you All brought. Right. I want to I spend a little time educating people on tea. So let me, let me back up and say that I believe tea is the most popular beverage in the world. It right? is, mm -hmm. and that's actually a, a really good lead-in to talk about it um, in terms of tea in the States is because worldwide 
tea is the most popular beverage, you know, after water, which is, of course, an element. And yet in the States, it's sixth or seventh behind the likes of carbonated beverages, um, coffee, milk, beer, and fruit juices. So whereas worldwide, three times as much tea is consumed as coffee, in the States, we consume three times as much coffee as tea. Right, which, so tea actually, Here, tea, tea has, oh, two, yes, and we're drinking out of wine glasses. Yeah, I don't drink beautiful. anymore, so there you go. This is like the white, the white way tea better. looks way, way every bit better. as pretty. The first time that I tried another white tea, our monkey picked white, mm. I drank it actually cold brewed, and I thought, you know what, you could offer me a lovely glass of Chardonnay, and I would instead pick this glass of cold brewed tea. And I think I drank it in a similar glass, which just making the presentation something that yeah. adds to the enjoyment is huge. This is delicious. Okay, so there's not just one kind of tea, Lipton in a tea bag, Correct. Right? Yeah. There's a lot of different kinds of teas but out there. But they all it's come from world. the same plant. But I don't understand that. That's so cool, isn't so it? So do I, am I growing it in my yard? No, oh, we're really dry too here. Too bad. So it's indigenous <laughs> to Southeast Asia, so both sides of the mm. Himalayas. Tea likes altitude and moisture. Mm. But there are now some experimental tea farms in the U.S. that are doing quite well, one in Florida and one in the Pacific Northwest and one in the Bay Area. Wow. So we're starting to grow. And, of course, there are uh, some tea plantations that started probably about a decade ago in Hawaii as well. So how do you get things like a white tea, a matcha, a green tea, the black teas, How do you and the pu'er? How do you get all those from the same plant? I don't understand. So tea's been around for 5,000 years. So people have had a lot of opportunity <laughs> to come up with their different methods okay. of processing mm -hmm. it. And the initial story is pretty cool. It was the Emperor Shen Nong, who's essentially the granddaddy of agriculture in China. People were dying, perishing of the plague in his country. And he said, all water must be boiled before you drink it. Smart guy, right? And so the legend of tea, which dates back to 2737 before Christian era, shows this emperor sitting with a vat of boiling water under a tree, and these leaves come off the tree and come floating into his vat of water, and he gets high on the elixir that he's smelling and then subsequently drinking, which is the first pot of tea. So if you go to China or Japan or India, the different ways of processing these teas are as diverse as like cheeses and wines in France or wines in Italy. Every little village has their own way of making that tea. And so uh, the populations of China and Japan drink almost exclusively green tea. And so that's a tea that was very rare in the States until the big green tea marketing hype came in about a decade ago, which has definitely benefited to promoting the tea industry here. We're in a real renaissance of tea growth in the U.S. But green tea is closer to an actual a fresh tea leaf. Okay. So white tea, which we're drinking, is the closest thing to a natural tea leaf and very pale in color. Literally, mm -hmm. these look like nice glasses of Sauvignon Blanc they right? really that do. we're Let, drinking. Let's, let's cheer again. again it's amazing. That. Wow. Mm. So these leaves are not oxidized at all. So if you think of 
any kind of a leaf that you would pick from a tree, like from your nice maple sitting right here, you pick that leaf off, it's not going to stay green forever. It's going to start to brown. Same thing with tea. Okay. So as it oxidizes, it turns brown. But if I were to take that leaf and immediately stop all the enzymatic processes that were allowing it to oxidize, to rot, essentially, it would become biologically inactive. And so it's almost like making kale chips. So you take that kale, you heat it to where they don't change anymore, and it stays bright green. Right. It's not going to rot. Right. So you fix that oxidation process, and you've got a finished tea product. So white tea you fix immediately. You pick it off the tree while it's dewy in the morning, and boom, you oxidize it right away. You've got a tea product within hours. Green tea, same thing. You fix it very quickly within a day, and you've got a tea product. Black tea gets to sit out in the sunshine, and oolong tea, which is between green and black teas, sits out in the sun, then it gets manipulated to make those enzymes do even different things. Into they the little balls. hand roll a lot yeah. of them, like you've mm -hmm. enjoyed. Um, you, it was so funny that you cold brewed that iron goddess oolong, and gosh darn, if you didn't fill that entire bottle with tea leaves, oh, because... It, people thought I was... Just who expands, knows what they thought right? I was doing when they saw me walking around with that bottle. Oh, I've been on top of Arapaho Peak with cold brew tea, and there were some people partying up there, and they're like, oh, wow, that's so cool. That's how they you drink so your marijuana. marijuana in my bottle. They all wanted a sip of it, and they thought it was excellent. Little did they know it was oolong tea. It wasn't getting them high, but they don't care. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So are, is any one tea healthier than another? So my take on that is that... Uh, I always say that the tea that's healthiest for you is the one that you love the most mm. because it's the one that you'll drink the most of. All teas have on the, the same order of polyphenol antioxidants in them, but in slightly different mixes. Okay. So the green and white teas are stronger in those catechin polyphenols, which are known and researched more as anti-cancer kind of agents. Okay. Black teas have them as well, but in a lower, slightly lower proportion. So if you really hate your green tea, which I initially did, and I, for me to drink matcha was literally like taking medicine every day, I had to drink Japanese greens for a decade until something switched in my head probably two or three years ago. And it was interesting. It was, you know how people say you need to be in a field for 10 years to become an expert? Yes. I was probably drinking teas daily for 10 years until I enjoyed drinking Japanese green tea. It's, it's, it's embarrassing to say, but I was drinking them because I had to and because they're a really big part of the green tea spectrum. And we all have different palates. So my colleague Jessica, whom you've met, mm -hmm. um, she's been working with me coming up on 10 years in a couple of weeks, next week, in fact. Wow. And she and I have kind of, uh, our palates are kind of antichrists of each other. I love so that. So if I love something, she's bound to not like it as much. We've kind of grown together like old people. Bit, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she's not nearly as old. But um, it's interesting how people perceive things differently. And we have different receptors in our mouths. You know, you, we've all heard about people who can't tolerate the taste of cilantro. It tastes like soap. Well, wow. it's because they've got a different receptor than other people. That's the one that's always a really uh, strong example. Yeah, cilantro. Absolutely. I know. 
So, okay. So they're all healthy depending on, you know, what yes. works for you is exactly. kind of the key. I think so. What's your take on caffeine? Should you be limiting that? That also depends on people. Of course, we should all be limiting it. But we have become such a caffeinated society. Oh, my goodness. Why? Anxiety, okay. heart attacks, you name it. More than 300 milligrams of caffeine a day is bad news. And again, I hate to talk, you know, smack about other industries out there, but energy drinks, you drink one of those and you've basically had what the... FDA recommends as your daily intake of caffeine. And sugar. And sugar. We won't even go <laughs> down the path of sugar, right? True. And teenagers are swigging those things down in multiple servings. So that's 300 milligrams of caffeine is considered safe for most adults. Okay. And a serving, an eight ounce serving of t- black tea would have on the order of between, uh, I would say, probably 40 to 50 milligrams of caffeine. So you could have five servings of those and, you know, pop up above that a little bit. But wait, let's talk servings. Because here's the serving size we're used to. And then there's Nicole who puts in five times as much leaves. (laughs) But you're right. Servings is a good point because all of the studies were done in cultures where a serving is six ounces. So when I talk serving of tea, I talk about how many tea, how much tea leaf went into that to brew that serving. Mm-hmm. So for me, a serving is made with two grams of loose leaf tea. Whether you put 16 ounces of water in there and cold brew it, or three ounces and make it super strong is irrelevant ultimately. It's what you infuse, what's the tea leaf matter that's in there. And... Yeah, so a two grams serving or serving made with two grams of tea is what we're referring to when we talk about a serving. Okay, got it. And white and green teas have much less caffeine. So green tea has about 30 to 35 milligrams or 25 to 35 milligrams of caffeine per serving. And white tea is down in the five to 10 milligrams range. Ultimately, all tea has the same amount of caffeine in the dry leaf, and I don't want to make this too complicated, but it's largely how we steep it that makes it different in terms of the infusion that's in your cup. So what's in the leaf is ultimately not exactly what's in your cup. 99 and two thirds percent of what's in your cup is water. One third Mm -hmm. of one percent is actual tea matter. And that's why it's important to brew your own tea and not to buy something that's in a can or a bottle because largely those only have trace evidence of tea in them whatsoever. True. So you really don't know what you're getting. And a lot of them, as you mentioned, have a lot of sugar in them. So if somebody listening is like, I'm willing to give this thing a try, I'm going to get on the teaspot.com, the teaspot.com, which I'll link to all of us on the show notes, everybody. And in fact, uh, they've got a discount for anybody listening, real women drink tea, 15% off. Um, But if someone was going to get started, what tea would you recommend to them or, or give them like three or four choices so mm. that they can maybe pick some samples? That's one thing I love about your site. You allow people to buy these little samples, three to five bucks each sample. You get a few servings and you can test them, right? Yes. So I'm actually opening my book to get to a section where we have 
like a little quiz to mm. help you pick your tea. Because again, all of our palettes are different. Yep. And one of the things that we talk about is if you like things that are more citrusy and bright, if you love sushi, if you think about swimming in the ocean, then go ahead and try a green tea or try a citrusy green tea. If you like things like stout beers and steak, which I personally don't eat, but I'm throwing it in that category, um, earthy cocoa, smoky, malty, peppery kind of things, try a nice dark tea either from the Yunnan region of China or from Assam, like an Irish breakfast or... Gosh. Um, a, a, can we just come over? Tea. Can you just of give us you samples? Can. You okay. know that. <laughs> yeah, and you know, if you live in the Boulder area, they have a um, actual tea tasting room, We right? do. We have our kitchen that we love people to come. So mm-hmm. one of the options that we offer on our website, and you don't need to actually order in order to just come on our door and, and come and see us and try something out, is customer pickup. And a lot of customers like to do that largely because they like to come in and get a little bit educated and maybe try something new. So it's... Uh, I think our shipping is $3.99 for orders up to $60, but it's free if you pick it up at the warehouse, which is out in Gun Barrel off of 63rd Street. And we're always more than happy. You can try any one of, you know, more than 100 different teas that oh, are there. Oh, it's amazing. Amazing, amazing. Well, we have blown through our oh, allotted time. I don't want to stop because I want to actually drink more tea and hang out. But we, at some point, we need to do this. We need to let people go off on their own like yes, you did absolutely. in France. Take the plunge. And go do it and figure it out and see if there's something here for you. All of you coffee drinkers, like I primarily was, but with an open mind, you may mm-hmm. find that... There's something about this habit. And Maria, one one thing before we get to the last question is that there's magic with drinking five cups a day, right? Yes, and I was actually going to recommend just start small. Start, if, you, if you're not a tea drinker already, start with one serving a day. See what it does. Cold brew it. Put it in a big bottle of water. Just put some loose leaf tea or a nice premium tea bag in there and cold brew it and have that as your enhanced water for the day. Um, but five servings a day is what has been shown to start to make therapeutic changes to your immune system. Wow. And so that's once you do start drinking five servings of tea a day and perhaps are not drinking as much coffee or alcoholic beverages in the di- course of the day as well, you will start to feel a difference. And I just go ahead and say that boldly because we have a lot of employees who've come to work at the tea spot who weren't tea drinkers. And all of them, unequivocally, there has not, without exception, within six months, they're devout, regular, all day long tea drinkers. Amazing. Well, I will tell you, my favorites, Earl of Grey. Yay, Jessica's Love it, it's beautiful. Um, That's a black tea. Uh, Boulder Blues. Green tea with yes. uh, a little strawberry and what's rhubarb. the rhubarb? Oh my gosh! Yes. Um, I love the turmeric tonic. That's a really great herbal tea. Oh, and no amazing. caffeine there. Amazing. So, yep, that's an herbal. You. And I also love the ginger. 
Oh, very nice. And then I do like that oolong, um, which one was it? Iron Goddess. Iron Goddess, where I dumped too many of the little balls in a in a jar, and then it looked like I was drinking seaweed. But So here's the thing, everybody. Our time is up, but I do need to ask Maria the last question okay. I ask every guest who comes on the show. And that is, if you could give our listeners one final piece of advice, one nugget to help them run their world in a bigger and better way, what would it be? Love your life. Bam. Done. No explanation. And with that, I'm smiling, and we're tuning out. Thank you, Maria, for coming on today. (laughs) Well... I just loved sitting across from Maria, sipping her amazing cold-brewed concoctions that she brought just for me. I felt so special. I loved listening to her stories, and I just felt myself sinking in to all of this education about the healing properties of tea. And I will not lie, I have been a coffee drinker since college. I talk about it all the time. Most of you already know this. I would often order things like a quad Americano just because I'm an all-in kind of person. But as I get older and open my mind to things that I didn't really understand or appreciate, I just realize that there's room in this world for so much. You don't have to be just a coffee drinker. You can go both ways. And I will tell you that if you buy Maria's book, Cancer Hates Tea, uh, I think your mind will open and suddenly you will find yourself wanting to enhance your coffee drinking life. And if you're already a tea person, you will want to try more. I mean, the world that she described is huge and vast and exciting and, and really has no boundaries. Because, you know, in the end, that's what this podcast is all about, right? Opening our minds and seeing the world in a way we didn't see it before. So, here's what we're going to (laughs) do. Before I sign off, I want to let you know that we're doing a giveaway of Maria's book, Cancer Hates Tea. All you have to do is head over to the Skirt Sports and the Tea Spot Facebook pages. You're going to have to like both of them and follow us. Um, you'll see the post. It'll be on both of our pages. It'll be shared and linked. Uh, and it will have instructions on how to win. We're going to ask you to do something. So we're going to give you a month. Anybody who is doing a Run This World Marathon and catching up or starting from scratch, you have a month. <laughs> we'll give you a little bit of time to listen to this one before we draw the big winner. And believe me, there's not a lot that you have to do to win this book. And this book is definitely one that everyone should have. All right, everybody, you know what time it is. It's time to get out there and run this world. Have a great workout, and we'll see you next week.